Let's pray as we listen to God's word explained. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your word, and we just pray now as we consider Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13 that you would uh, give us wisdom to understand and be better followers of Jesus. In his name, amen. In Acts 1 verse 8, the risen Jesus uses the words of Isaiah 49 verse 6 and predicts that his good news of the kingdom will reach to the very ends of the earth. The history of the church since then is full of remarkable stories of the gospel breaking new ground as it makes its way from the known to the unknown to the ends of the earth. Meet Waswa Manubi. Waswa was born in northwestern Uganda in the mid-1860s. And as a young man, he was apprenticed to a witch doctor. He was also influenced by Islam through Arab slave traders who came his way. From this background of African traditional religion and a bit of Islam mixed together, about the age of 30, Waswa became a Christian through CMS missionaries. True, not Australian CMS, but the Brits aren't bad. With a new faith came a new name. You might have heard of him, Apollo Kibabulaya. And as this young evangelist, he was sent to what is now northeast Congo in a pagan village which was Boga. And he started preaching. Well, although he was initially welcomed, because he was promoting Jesus as Lord and speaking forcefully against sorcery, polygamy, drunkenness, and a whole lot of other vices, the chief wasn't impressed. And the chief ordered Apollo to be beaten severely. And although he almost died, he recovered and continued with his ministry. Well, the chief, I must say, was impressed. He was impressed with Apollo's tenacity, and his willingness to suffer for Jesus. And miraculously, the chief became a Christian. And so Christianity and the Anglican Church took root in Congo. So we see, because of one faithful Christian, prepared to go from the known to the unknown and to suffer for Christ, Many, many have been brought into the kingdom. You could say one more tribe and one more language standing before the throne. Well, today in our third and final talk for this week, we're going to consider the lead up to the next major breakthrough point in Acts. As the gospel goes to the nations, we're going to be looking at the lead up to Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. We'll be looking at Acts 11 and just the beginning of Acts 13. And we're going to be considering how Antioch became central to God's plans to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this morning, uh, the talk has three parts. Firstly, how Antioch became an established church. Secondly, that Antioch became the next Jerusalem or the next centre 
for ministry expansion. And thirdly, we'll be looking at the sending out of Paul and Barnabas as missionaries from Antioch. So, to start with, how Antioch Church was established. We're going to start with verse 19. And as we look at verse 19, which says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. As we start with verse 19, we're taken immediately back to chapter 8, verse 1 and chapter 8, verse 4. That's when we hear the first news of the persecution and the scattering that took place as a result. We hear here that all the Christians except the apostles were reported as leaving Jerusalem. Now, the Bible doesn't say specifically that these thousands of Christians that were expelled from Jerusalem were sent as evangelists, but since, as we say, Jesus had taken them over, they took the gospel with them. This new diaspora of Christian Jews met up with the existing Jewish diaspora in the surrounding countries, and gospel fellowships were established in various Jewish communities. However, we see in verse 20 that some of these unknown evangelists, it says men of Cyrene and Cyprus, arrived in Antioch. Now, Antioch at the time was a key Roman city. It's now in modern Turkey. And those evangelists from Cyrene and Cyprus who arrived in Antioch they started preaching to Jews, but they also started speaking the word of Jesus to Greek-speaking Gentiles. Now we have this phenomenon. Both Jews and Gentiles are becoming Christians in what it says are great numbers. Well, in verse 22, uh, it appears that head office in Jerusalem heard what was happening and decided they needed to send backup. There must have been quite a lot of converts. It's not clear from the text if this sending of backup was at the request of the Antioch leaders, whether they shouted, help, and the Jerusalem leaders sent someone, or whether the Jerusalem leaders just heard what was going on and thought they'd better help. But in any case, they sent Barnabas from Jerusalem. Now, Barnabas, it says, was also from Cyprus. See what it says in verse 24 about Barnabas. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. If you've got uh, a bit of a, a good memory, you'll remember that exactly the same words were used by Luke to describe Stephen in chapter 6, verse 5. A good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. As a result of Barnabas' ministry in Antioch, it says in, in verse 24, that many, that a great many more people, and we assume both Jews and Gentiles, 
became Christians. Well, it appears that was pretty successful as well. And uh, this is another help moment. Now Barnabas recognises that he's a bit out of his depth and he needs help. So he scuttles off to Tarsus to look for the now converted Paul, the new apostle to the Gentiles, and brings him to Antioch. Now it seems that they have enough ministry guns to cope. And it records here in verse 26 that Paul and Barnabas teach and presumably evangelize since many were being added to the Lord for a year. Now we don't know what the church in Antioch looked like exactly, but scholars think that it's probable that it was a number of house churches uh, like in other cities at the time. Let's look at the same passage now, but from a different angle. Antioch becoming the new Jerusalem or new ministry centre for expansion. Remember in my first talk on Tuesday, we saw a picture of gospel growth in Jerusalem. The apostles spoke the gospel, both those inside the fellowship to build them up, and to those outside the fellowship, reaching out with the gospel. Remember the summary statements in chapter 2, verse 47, and others. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Another example in chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, here in Luke's presentation of what's happening in Antioch, the same sort of language that was used of Jerusalem is now being used of the word in Antioch. First, Luke uses this language regarding the first unnamed evangelists in verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Same sort of language. And then this same sort of language again is used of the ministry of Barnabas in verse 24. And a great many people were added to the Lord. It seems that Luke is deliberately trying to get us to see He's trying to picture Antioch as the new Jerusalem, or at least we could say the next Jerusalem, with the same dynamic messianic community and the same work of the Holy Spirit. Again, we see the gathering for teaching and fellowship and prayer and the reaching out as more and more people become followers of Jesus. However, note the differences as well between Antioch and Jerusalem. Firstly, in Antioch, now the work of ministry is not done by the apostles, but just by ordinary, ordinary Christians. And secondly, now in Antioch, there's a whole new category of believers. See, in Jerusalem, 
we only had Jews becoming Christians. But now in Antioch, we've got Jews becoming Christians, yes, but we've got this new breed of Christians. We've got pagans directly becoming Christians. And it seems that that's why they had to come up with a new name for followers of Jesus. They were no longer just a sect of Judaism. There were pagans becoming believers directly. And so they came up with this new name, Christians, Christ's people. These are Christ's people because Jesus had indeed taken them over. Isn't it amazing? We see that Jerusalem had been cloned and we'll see in a most repeatable fashion. Well, lastly, let's go to the beginning of chapter 13. And we'll see how Paul and Barnabas are sent out. Between chapter 11, verse 26, and chapter 13, verse 1, Paul and Barnabas have been to Jerusalem to take the love gift to uh, those in Jerusalem suffering from the famine. And now in verse 1 of chapter 13, the church leaders are meeting together in Antioch in prayer and fasting, seeking the will of God. Verse 2 says, reports that the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now by the end of chapter 11, the reader of Acts might be thinking, well, Antioch looks quite a lot like Jerusalem, except for one thing. There's no scattering. But then in chapter 13, we see it. This time, not caused by persecution, but nonetheless through a definitive intervention of the Holy Spirit. It's like the balloon is popping again. Antioch has been gathering and reaching out and gathering and reaching out and more and more people are becoming Christians. But then it reaches the point of maturity. And now it seems they're ready for this next step of sending out more people further afield. When we see this, we get the sense that this second Jerusalem called Antioch will not be the last one. And we can see that there's hope now, as Paul and Barnabas set out, that this will be repeated again and again until the Lord returns. So what do we learn from this? Well, I've got three applications for us this morning. The first is the Antioch model seems to be, in the scriptures, the standard repeatable model of gospel expansion, much more so than what happened in Jerusalem. That is, in the Jerusalem scattering, uh, the whole church was sent out. But in Antioch, that doesn't happen, does it? Two people are sent out for cross-cultural mission, while the majority stay behind concentrating on local mission and evangelism and building up, keeping that a strong base, plus supporting the two that they sent out. 
I would suggest that any church or group of churches now should be exhibiting this Antioch pattern of gathering, reaching out, and then sending out to expand the gospel. Secondly, we've seen that both local ministry, evangelism, and wider mission of sending out either to the next suburb, the next city, the next state, or the next country. These two things of local uh, mission, local ministry, and sending out to cross-cultural mission are just two normal parts of church life under the power of the Spirit. And I hope we might begin to see this week how unhelpful it is when people try and set in opposition one, on the one hand, the local uh, witnessing and gathering, and on the other hand, the wider scattering sending out by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is involved in both this local ministry and the sending out ministry. And as both are uh, expressions of the work of the Spirit under the guidance of the Lord Jesus, we need the best people to be doing both. It's funny how the wheel goes around, isn't it? When I was at college, admittedly uh, last century, when I was at college, people constantly questioned my decision to become a missionary. They'd say, why aren't you staying in Sydney? There's, there's so much work to do here. Why do you need to go somewhere else? Now, apparently, it's trendy to go, to, to go anywhere, and it's definitely not trendy to stay in Sydney. It's even implied that those who want to stay in Sydney have no imagination and that they're not taking the most strategic gospel path. Well, I want to say from our studies this week that both attitudes are inconsistent with Scripture. We need Sydney to continue being the effective Antioch that it has been for many years. We need that to happen so that there's a base for outside ministry, more scattering ministry to happen. We need the best people to stay and we need the best people to go. But it's not as, if, not as if the people involved in these two types of mission, local or mission, let's call them, it's not as if they're two separate groups of people. Please note, in the case of Antioch, the same people were used by Jesus to do both jobs. First of all, Paul and Barnabas built up the church in Antioch, and then, having built it up, they were then sent out. It's not necessarily that people have to do one sort of ministry or the other. And there's plenty of examples of people uh, we know, even on the faculty, that have done uh, both jobs of local ministry and missionary work. And lastly, I want us to consider that mission is the responsibility of the church, and I like to call it a team sport. If you've been convinced this week of the Bible's clear teaching that the scattering and sending out phenomenon is a normal part of church life, then the question is not, should my church be involved in sending people out? The question should be, 
how should we be involved? Well, for a start, I want to suggest that every church fellowship should be actively identifying and encouraging suitable people to consider ministry, whether local or missionary work, or both. Secondly, churches, our churches in our local area here, we need to recognise the place of mission agencies. Mission agencies are not there to replace the local church doing mission. It's best to think of mission agencies as local churches combining forces to help each other do ministry that needs particular expertise and training. The church must be involved and committed to mission as just a normal, everyday part of what Christ demands of the church until he returns. So, last word on Acts. Acts is so exciting, isn't it? As we see the gospel going from the known to the unknown. The church must continue in this pattern presented of gathering, teaching, reaching out, and then sending out, taking the gospel, taking the known gospel to the unknown, that they might be known by God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the good news of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that it is Jesus' plan to have that gospel, that known gospel, going to every tribe and nation and language. And that this will continue to be the work of the church until Christ returns. Help us, Heavenly Father, to know how we can be involved in this great work of Christ. Amen.